We are walking through the book of Matthew together, and we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. It is an extended teaching time of Jesus on a variety of topics. And one of the reasons that I like preaching through books of the Bible is it forces you to preach on things that you would never preach on. Um, and this morning is one of those passages I have never preached on. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, and I'm looking, was greatly challenged this week in my own life about this topic, and I'll share some of that as we go on. But also, it's a very popular passage. In fact, among unbelievers, and you can't prove this, okay? Like, I, you're going to be like, show me. I can't prove it to you. But there are like polls out there that say among unbelievers, the most famous Bible verse is no longer John 3.16. You know, Tim Tebow in his black eyeliner, even much as he put John 3.16, it is no longer the most famous verse in the Bible. Now, if you're familiar with John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life, right? You know that verse, if you grew up in the church? Uh, and that used to be the most famous Bible verse among unbelievers, but there's, ref there's like just some polls out there today that say that has been replaced with Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. If you haven't turned there yet, guess what that passage says? Don't judge. Okay? Don't judge me. This is a very popular passage. It has probably outgrown John 3.16 among the church and outside the church. And not only is it most popular, I also think it is maybe, maybe the most misunderstood verse in the Scripture. When we use that verse... It is always when we're receiving judgment, right? Don't judge me. The Bible says, don't judge. Rarely do we judge someone and say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. Most of the time, it's when other people are judging us, making critiques about us, looking down on us, that we pull out the Matthew 7, 1 card. Don't judge me. And I want to spin that around and actually say, we don't really know what, when we use it in that context, we're misunderstanding what judgment is in Matthew 7. And it's not for the person who's receiving judgment, it is for the person giving the judgments. And I find that really important because we are told by Jesus not to judge. So let's read Matthew 7, 1 to 5 together this morning. Jesus says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This morning I want to ask three questions of this passage to help us understand what Jesus is actually saying. I first want to ask the question, what is the meaning of do not judge? 
Secondly, I want to ask the question in verses 1b and 2, who is the one who is doing the judging of the person who judges? And then finally, I want to ask the question, how do we stop judging? So number one, what is the meaning of do not judge? A good place to start when we're trying to determine what the meaning of judge here is probably to say what it does not mean. It certainly does not mean, and it, doesn't, it is not commanding us to be undiscerning blobs who never, under any circumstance whatsoever, hold any opinions about right and wrong. Are we to say nothing or to make any judgments about the wrongs of Hitler and Stalin? Or other people in history who have clearly been very reprobate and evil? Are we to say that Jesus is saying you are to make no judgment at all? I think that's what a lot of people want to say. Is that you have the ability, you should not have the ability to judge anyone. Who are you to judge? You can't make any appearance or make any determination about what is good or evil. And in, as Christians... I think we have validity to actually make distinctions, to make judgments. In fact, Jesus himself says in John chapter 7, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So we can say Jesus was a walking contradiction, that he says don't judge, and in John he says do judge, but do it right. Or we can actually maybe jump into the context a little bit more and see that Jesus is not saying you can't make any distinctions. You can't make, you're allowed to make certain pronouncements and judgments. In fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostles go on to speak about making judgment. In 1 Corinthians 5, we hand people over to Satan who are living in an unrepentant way. That's making a judgment about a certain individual. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul uses strong language about false teacher, and he calls them dogs. Okay, and for all of you dog lovers out there, these are not the little fluffy dogs that you have at your house. In biblical times, dogs were like wolves. They ran around in packs and just devoured things, and they weren't your cute little dog. Okay, so Jesus isn't calling your cute little dog a false teacher. It'll be okay. Or... In Galatians, Paul is making all sorts of judgments about people who are uh, changing the gospel and altering the gospel. In fact, he, he wishes that they would emasculate themselves. So there is a certain type of judgment in Christian circles, in the Christian life, that is acceptable. There's a certain type of judgment in the Christian life that is necessary. But there's also a type of judgment that Jesus condemns. And this is the type that he's condemning in this text. So what is he condemning? He's not condemning making judgments about right and wrong. What he's doing is he's coming after your attitude. Do not judge means looking down on a person with a superior attitude in which you are criticizing or condemning them without a loving concern. Jesus forbids what we're going to call judgmentalism, not moral discernments. So don't be judgmental. Do not accept a critical spirit. Do not have a con condemning attitude. This is what Paul is, or Jesus is fighting against. And Paul actually fights against it in Romans chapter 14 in the body. You then, 
why do you judge your brother and sisters? On the screen, why do you look down on your brother? We will all stand before God's judgment seat. As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account himself to God. Therefore, stop passing judgment on one another. Now, if we're honest, we all have this judgmental attitude. Okay, and I began this week knowing this passage was coming and just had this radio, like this antenna up for my judgments. Okay, do you look down on people because they wear masks or don't wear masks? Condemn them? Think they're stupid for what they believe one way or another? Do you look down on people for what they believe about the vaccine? Do you look down on people who make more money than you or make less money than you? Do you look down on your neighbor because they don't keep their yard up like you do? Do you look down on other parents because they don't know how to discipline their kids the way that you do? Do you look down on people in your workplace because they don't have the same work ethic that you do? Do you look down on people who use an Android? Yes, we do. Like, we're not even talking, in a sense, about, like, moral matters. We're just talking about things in life that we hold a strong opinion about, that people who are different than us, we don't just accept them, in a sense, we actually look down on them. And if we're honest, we all by nature possess a judgmental spirit. Because, let's just, let's do audience participation. Why do we judge other people? Why do we look down on other people? Because when you put other people down, what does that do for you? It elevates you. Does that make sense? That is what judging does. It puts other people down so that you have some place to stand on. Now, why do you need some place to stand on? Because we're insecure. We're not... Don't get to the end of my sermon, okay? We can all go home. This superiority is where we find our identity. We are honestly, deep down inside of us, all so jacked up, or a broken mess, that in order to cover up the insecurity, the brokenness, the depravity, we need a place to stand to say, I am something. And so in order to do that, you have to look down on other people. And as you are looking down on them, you're belittling them, it is puffing you up, and I would like to tell you, congrats. You get to look down on other people, but while you maintain your hill of superiority, you continue to be a self-righteous jerk who builds your identity on something other than the gospel, which actually destroys the very fabric of the church. Stop judging others. How do you know if you're judging others? Well, what is your underlying motivation or attitude when you make a judgment about someone else? Is it love? Is it encouragement? Is it concern? 
Or is there this vengeful, hateful, self-seeking, self-satisfying motivational attitude that is driving your reason of why you are looking down on other people? And that journey is really hard. I don't know if you ever said this before to people who like, you ever say to them like, I know I got my own issues, but let me tell you about your issues. That's, that's good. But do you really know the depth of your own issues? You just saying that as a platitude to get to them, to have this false sense of humility? Or do you really mean that statement that I know I got my own issues, but let me tell you about yours? Is the focus still on them to make them feel the revenge and, the, and the, the hate that you felt from them and now you've got to give it back to them? Or is there really this deep understanding of love and encouragements? One of the ways I would say this is, do you have a defensive or critical spirit? Critical in the sense of judgmental, not critical in the sense like we need to determine if this is good doctrine or bad doctrine. I'm saying critical as in judgmental, because critical and defensive spirits are masks of your self-righteousness. When people start talking to you, do you get defensive? It's because you stand on this hill and they're actually knocking you off of your hill and you don't like getting knocked off your hill and you get really defensive. Do you have critical spirits about people? That's because you have to be critical to maintain your air of superiority. So Jesus is not condemning us making right judgments about right and wrong He's not even, we're going to see in a few moments, he's not even saying you can't tell someone else error in their life. What he's coming after is the attitude in which you make pronouncements about other people. So, number one, judgment. In Matthew 7, 1 is about your attitude. Not about what you're actually making a judgment about. Which is hard as Christians, Right? Like, I'm a, if you haven't been around me for more than six minutes, I'm like a theological snob and geek. So if it used to, and it really, I mean, I'm getting, God is graciously helping me do this. But it's like, if you got bad doctrine, like I can, in my mind, I can sniff that out in like 10 seconds. And why do I do that? Because I built my identity, not on Jesus and the gospel, but on right doctrine. And so then you just want to start calling out everyone who is different than you. And you can join Facebook groups called What the Furtick and all these other things out there on Facebook that are denouncing everyone in the world. And there's like this, I don't, I don't want to call it a balance, but there's like this reality that you got to do business with your own life that, yes, we are not the first generation of the church without false teaching. Does that make sense? We're not like there's no false teachers out there. No, there's false teachers out there. But then to make everyone, if they disagree with your doctrine, become a false teacher, we're like, okay, we have to actually start, why are we judging these people? Because we are better than them and we have better doctrine than them? Or because we genuinely love these people and want to help them and helpfully ensure that other people don't fall prey to false doctrine? Question one, don't judge, is about your attitude. Question two, 
Who is the one judging the one who judges? What does that mean? We'll look at verse 1b. It says, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So the person with wrong motivation looks down on people who judges is going to receive judgments himself. The question is, is who is the one judging the judger? Option one, some people say, is that these are other people. What we mean by that is the degree to which we judge other people will be to the degree to which they judge us. The person with a critical spirit will receive a lot of criticism from other people. So the, you know, the idea is like, you're going to be really harsh to people and judge? Well, guess how people are going to treat you? Very harsh and very critical. Now, I think that's an everyday, lived-out reality. Does that make sense? If you're a very critical person, expect to get a lot of criticism. I just don't think that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. As true as that may be, I think the better option is to see that God is the one making judgments. God is the one who is going to, in verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, God will judge you. And God will judge you with the measure you use. He will use the same measure against you. The point of these verses is that God is going to judge the judgmental one. The point of these verses is not that we should be moderate in our judging of other people so they'll be moderately judging back to us, but that we should abolish all judgmental attitudes because if we don't, we'll be utterly condemned before God. See, a judgmental attitude excludes us from God's forgiveness. It betrays an unregenerate spirit. A judgmental attitude keeps you from experiencing the forgiveness of God, and you will stand condemned before God on the last day. How can we say that? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus, we studied a few months ago, says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy. Or in chapter 6, on the next screen, verses 14 and 15, we looked at this a few weeks ago. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So what I would like to compare with the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5, 6, and now chapter 7 is this, that if you won't forgive, God won't forgive you. If you judge and look down on others with impure motives, with wrong motivational attitudes, then God will look down and judge you on the last day. But blessed are the ones who are merciful, who are forgiving, and do not judge because they will be shown mercy by God himself. And here is the reason why you should not look down on others is because on the last day, God will look down on you with disapproval. This is no small matter. God himself will judge you. It's no small matter because within the church, the judging that goes on between people in MCs and in this family of servant missionaries, it actually destroys the very fabric of the church. It destroys the fame and the purpose of the church. This is no small matter. 
Jesus is going right to the heart. If you don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. If you judge others, God will judge you. So the question is, is how do we stop judging? Question three, what do we do? Jesus gives a metaphor, an analogy here in verses three to five, and we'll read it again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your other eye, your brother's eye. Jesus now addresses the sheer foolishness of our judgmental attitudes. It is absolute tomfoolery, which is my favorite word in English language, it is tomfoolery to judge other people. And in order to make this case, he uses a, an exaggerative comparison, a hyperbolic comparison between a speck of sawdust and a plank. Uh, the, the speck of sawdust refers in the Greek to like a really small piece of wood, like a little splinter. The NIV translates it a speck of sawdust. Either way, it's a very small piece of wood. And, and the plank is actually a, a large beam that was used for construction of houses. So you have this great comparison in the mind of the first century readers between this little tiny piece of kindling that you put in the fire and this massive, you know, huge board that you use to build a house with. And when we fail to take the plank out of our own eye, Jesus is basically telling us three things. Number one, in case you don't get the point about the plank and the piece of sawdust, he's saying that when we don't remove the plank, what we're doing is that we are not censoring a, we're censoring a tiny flaw in someone else's life while forgetting the massive shortcomings in our own life. We can't see who we truly are, who we really are in our depravity. He's saying, how can we look down on other people and their flaws all the while we have massive flaws in our lives? especially relating to the very issues we judge others for. Like, how silly is it for us to go to someone and say, you know what, you just lied. And look down on them and call them a liar or gossip about them. Well, all the time, how many times have we shaded the truth? How many of you are like, I'm not a liar, I'm just a person who lies, right? That's me. I'm not a liar, I'm just a person who kind of colors the story a little bit to make sure that it fits my narrative. And if we were to actually stop and see the depth and the amount of times that we have actually changed stories and have told lies for the sake of our own advancement, for the sake of our own comforts, it would be embarrassing to know how many times we've done that to come to one person and start judging them and looking down on them. When we don't take the plank out of our eye, we can't see who we really are. Number two, not only do not makes us unaware of who we really are, but it invites God's judgment against us. Let's ask this question. Do we really want the standard of God's justice to be applied to us in the same way we apply it to others? 
For example, and this is kind of what I got to just a minute ago, what if we applied the standard of justice to an adulterer? We know someone who just gave into adultery, and we begin to judge them and look down on them and, and look evil upon them. How will we fare against the same standard applied to us according to Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, if you look at a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart? Do you want Jesus to use the same standard that we give to other people on you? Or again, perhaps we apply God's standard of justice to wealthy men who exploit the poor by unfair practices and greed. That never happens in America, right? But how often have we been greedy? How often have we robbed others of value for money? Do we really want the standard of God's justice to be applied to ourselves in the way we are happy to apply it to others? See, we're inviting God's judgment upon us. This is what Jesus is teaching us. But there's a third reality when we fail to take the plank out of our own eye, and it's this. We act as hypocrites. Ah, hypocrisy. The great word in the church Christian world. That person is a hypocrite. Those words ever come out of your mouth? Just me? I'm the only person who's ever called someone a hypocrite? We love to label out loud. And oftentimes, if you're like me, just in your own minds, people as hypocrites. Let me make this statement. A true hypocrite is one who fails to see that they are themselves hypocritical. We're all hypocritical in the sense that we do not always live out what we say we believe. Are you a hypocrite? Do you act hypocritically? Yes. The hypocrite is one who says, I don't. The hypocrite is one who does not acknowledge this, who forgets this and judges others. They have failed to pull the plank out of their own eye. Someone who sees the plank in their eye and recognizes how sinful they are and they don't want God's judgment upon them is not the hypocrite. The one who actually doesn't live up to the standard that they say they live up to and they acknowledge that. They are not the hypocrite. The hypocrite is the one who refuses to acknowledge the plank in their eye, refuses to acknowledge the sinfulness in their own life. They recognize that they are far worse than they actually believe themselves to be. They're not better than they think they are. A great Baptist, I don't know why I call him Baptist, but he's Baptist, okay? English um, pastor in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, has this quote that I read a when I was in seminary, and it has not left me. It says, if any man thinks ill of you, don't be angry with them. How many of you get angry when other people speak evil of you? You know what his answer is? He says, the reason why you should not think ill of others when they get angry with you is because you are far worse than he thinks you to be. Let me read that again. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with them. Why? Because you're far worse than he thinks you to be. How come we can't adopt that mindset? So to stop judging others, which is the question, how do we stop judging others? We've got to get the plank out of our eyes. 
We've got to get the, the sin in our lives out, the, the true hypocrisy to be revealed. When we judge others, as I mentioned in the beginning, it, it lifts others up to put others down. And in this judgmental attitude of superiority of someone standing up high and pushing other people low, it creates a division, it creates a chasm between people so that when you, other people are judging others, there is no true, genuine, loving relationship there. There are two separate domains created. You have the upper level with the self-righteous hypocrites who judge others and cannot get the beam out of their own eyes, all the while they are dismissing and categorizing everyone else on the lower level who don't live up to their standards. So the question is, is how do we actually get rid of these two domains? See, the gospel is the only power that will enable you to be like Charles Spurgeon and not get angry when other people speak ill of you because you recognize how sinful you really are. See, the gospel takes the high and the mighty and the people of moral superiority and it brings them low because the gospel tells you you are so sinful that God actually had to come and die for you. You couldn't do anything on your own. Your hill of superiority is not gaining you any access to the Father. It's not enabling you to have any righteousness. See, when you stand up on that hill of superiority, you don't really understand the gospel, that you are far more sinful than you could ever dare to believe. Another church theologian in history wrote this. He says, it is the kindness of God that he doesn't reveal your sin to you all at one time. Can you imagine if at one time God revealed to you the depths of the depravity of your human heart, how overwhelming that would be? And yet most of us just think we're okay. Yeah, we're bad. We got a couple flaws. No, the, the power of sin in your life runs so deep and the tentacles run so wide that when you stand up on that hill of superiority, you don't understand the gospel. That God had to come in the person of Jesus to die for you. See, judgmental attitudes creates this division. And How do we actually bring that division together so there can be loving unity in the church? We put our faith in the gospel and we recognize that we are far more sinful than we could ever dare to believe. And those people who live down here who are being judged, who feel like they're worthless because everyone keeps criticizing them and attacking them. The gospel brings you up. The gospel brings the ones who are low, high, to be even when the people have come down. The gospel tells you, the ones who are constantly being critiqued and criticized, that you are so loved. You are loved more than you could ever dare to hope to be loved. Because when you're down here, you feel worthless. You feel empty. You feel like no one loves you. And yet the God of the universe loved you so much that he sent Jesus to come down and rescue you. And when the love of Jesus melts your heart, it will actually allow you to come up and be with the people of God because your identity is not found in what other people say about you. Your identity is not found in what other people think about you. Your identity is found in what God thinks of you. 
And when that love comes and melts your heart, it brings the low people up and they have a place to stand. And they say, I am loved by God. And when you stay down here, you don't know the goodness of God. And when you stay up here, you don't know the judgment of God. And the gospel will actually bring these two people together. Because you are far more wicked than you ever dared to believe, and you are far more loved than you could ever hope. So with all of that, how do you react when you see hypocrisy in the church? I hear this throughout my years of pastoring. I'm seeing a lot of hypocrisy in this church. I'm like, I hope so. Because the reality to which we're trying to get to, we aren't living up to. That's the honest truth. We want to keep pressing more and more to being a true family of missionaries who serve and love each other. Have we reached that ideal ever? No. Is there hypocrisy in our church? Yes. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to judge and look down and leave? Or are you going to lovingly say, you know what, I'm a hypocrite too. And we all need to believe the good news of Jesus and come together and point out. Because Jesus says, once you get the log out of your own eye, what can you do? You can see clearly to go to brothers and sisters and point out their sin. So the point isn't just to, you know, love, love, love and never point out sin in people's lives. The point is, is the way that you do that correctly is when you actually get the plank of self-righteousness and despair out. Yes. I wish there was a checklist I could tell you and you just, you just know it. And, and, you know, again, it goes to like, I think a lot of it goes back to like I made earlier about like, I know I got my own problems. One thing I have found when I have to make these strong cases, or not strong, but like harsh, strong words seemingly to people, I actually start confessing my own sin and how I'm struggling in that way. Does that make, like, it's not like, I know I have my own problems. No, I actually tell you my problems. <laughs> like, I know I've struggled with this, this, like, and I give out, implica- like, real-life examples. Does that make sense? So it's not just me doing the platitude, like, I know I got my issue, but... No, it's like, I'm coming to you as a brother who deeply believes that flourishing in your life is being robbed from you because you're living in this way. And I want you to experience the blessing of God's presence and all that the gospel can bring you. And I want it, like, when that, when that can come to me, that's when I feel like I can go to people. And trust me, it takes a lot of prayer, discipline, structure, to get there. I don't wake up every day and be like, I just want all of you to flourish because you've just attacked me and I love, I so keep, no, no, that's not the human heart of Scott Osborne. It takes time to get there, but it's, you know, am I going to this person out of love or revenge? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll stick with your two C's. 
Makes it easier. Alliteration. Compassion or condemnation? You should be a pastor. Well, a preacher. But I mean, like, yeah, I don't know if that helps, Luke, but I think the, that's the general idea. Like, what is the motivation for me coming to you? Do I want you to feel what I, you've made me feel? And I want to, here's the weird irony in life. You often become what you criticize. It's the dumbest thing in the world. In criticizing Pharisees, you become a, a Pharisee. In pointing out hip- hypocrites, you become a hypocrite. And this is what Jesus is attacking. If you're going to have this judgmental attitude, you don't know who you really are. You don't know how loved you really are. You don't know the judgment of God that's coming for you. And you don't recognize that you're a hypocrite. And yet, Jesus, and I want to, this is my last point, unless there's, and if there's more questions, I'll be more than happy to take those questions as well. But my last point I want to say is that in Romans 14, Paul is talking about people passing judgment on each other in the church. And right here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, brothers and sisters, talking about the community. I don't want us to judge anyone. But we should start with the household of God. Stop judging others. Recognize we all need Jesus. We're all not living up to where we should be. And that only helps, not, not only helps when you give, but also helps you to receive. When other people come to you and point things out, rather than getting defensive and critical, you can be like, let me receive this and hear it and evaluate it. Father, thank you for these words that Jesus himself has given us and the Spirit of God is applying to our hearts. And I pray that because we've met together today and as we leave, we'll be reminded that we are far more sinful than we ever dared to believe. And we are far more loved than we could ever hope for. May that truth of the goodness, goodness of the gospel wash our hearts, cleanse us, keep us from judgmental attitudes, getting the plank out of our own eye so that we can come alongside our brothers and sisters and help them flourish, help them to walk humbly with our God. So I pray that Satan would not be able to create judgmental attitudes, that he would not get and create division of creating these high and these low domains, but that we would, through the power of the gospel, by our faith in Jesus, be united together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.